0: Have you ever had trouble buying a gift for somebody because they have, like, everything? <laughs> I had a boss years and years ago in my younger life, and he was very wealthy. And we, but we exchanged Christmas presents every year at the office Christmas party. By the way, kids can be dismissed with Miss Heather back here if they want to go. Um, anyway, his name was George, and George had a lot of money. George drove a super nice car. George would go to Tahiti on the weekend just for fun. I mean, George had everything from an earthly standpoint. And so when it came time for the office Christmas party, he's like, what do you buy George? I mean, he has everything. And so anyway, I knew that George was into uh, blues. So I found this very unique, rare blues CD and gave it to him for Christmas back in the day when we actually gave CDs, right? Um, Anyway, but what do you do at Christmas time? And what do you give to the Savior who has everything? I mean, does not Jesus have a whole lot more than George? (laughs) I mean, he has everything. The earth, the hills, space, everything is his. And so that's our topic this morning. And we're going to go to look at at the Christmas story uh, since it was just yesterday. And it's still fresh on our hearts and minds. And I want to go through this. It says in Luke chapter 2, and hopefully many of you read this yesterday as a family. It says in those days... with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all the people heard wondered with the shepherds that told them. And let's read this verse from Matthew together. Would you read this with me out loud? Verse 11 says, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceeding with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And of course, that's referring to who? The the wise men, right? So uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this Christmas story is not just a story, but it is fact and history. This is the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, and we give thanks for your word. Pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, that we may behold wondrous things from your word this morning. In Jesus' wonderful name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. So what do you give the Savior who has everything? Well, let's start with this. Mary and Joseph gave him their service. They gave him their service. Think about that. God became human flesh, and how did he come into the world? A helpless baby. Now, just because Jesus was God doesn't mean he fed himself, or he cleaned himself, or changed his own diaper. He didn't do any of those things. He, allowed, he put himself in a humble situation. Like Philippians chapter 2 says, he humbled himself and took on flesh. And he, he not only humbled himself by becoming a baby, You just think about the family he was born into. Remember when you first got married? Some of you remember that, when you barely could rub two nickels together. I remember when Tam and I first got married, we are literally pulling out the couch cushions, looking for loose change, trying to put together something to feed the kids for dinner. And so you've been there. Mary and Joseph definitely were there. And that is the family Jesus chose. That's pretty amazing. And, And yet he chose to be served by them. Think about that. Look what they did. She gave birth to him. (laughs) No small task, said all the women, amen? (laughs) No small task right there. She gave birth, the the labor. Think of all the pain that Mary went through to bring God into human flesh. Just because it was a virgin supernatural birth doesn't mean it was pain-free, okay? In fact, think about all the pain she went through to give Jesus life, and later Jesus would go through the pains of death to give her life. Just a beautiful picture there right from the day one right from day one. And then they wrapped him in those swaddling clothes. And you know that the swaddling clothes, okay, so shepherds were out in the field and shepherds were the lowest on the economic level. That was a job for people who were ex-cons or people with no skills. It was just pretty much a job for lowlifes. In fact, in court of law, there was two people whose testimony was not admissible. Women, because it it was a sexist society and women had, there was no respect for them. They were considered many like property, and then shepherds, <laughs> shepherds, weren't their testimony was inadmissible in a court of law. And yet, the shepherds did have the honor of the priests giving them the, the swaddling clothes to capture the firstborn lamb, because the firstborn lamb was what? It was sacred to the Lord. So they had sacred, sanctified claws, if you will, to catch the, the firstborn lambs so they could be sacrificed at the temple. And so it was, many people believe that these were the, the clothes that were used to capture who? The Lamb of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture right there? And it says, and they laid him in a manger. So they had to clean out the manger, which was a feeding trough. They had to do a lot of work there. If you've seen the, the new, uh, the chosen video about this whole event right there, it's pretty amazing how it captures it. At capture, sorry about my at my mispronunciation there, And so they laid him in a manger. They did all this work to get that stable ready to, to have a place for him because there was no room for the end. And you know what? Um, childbirth is not easy. Again, many of you women in this room, you've gone through that. And you know how difficult that is. Many of your husbands have sat there sweating, you know, having vicariously pain going through that with your wife, seeing her suffer through all that. And Mary went through all that. They went through this. Where did she give birth I mean, you guys are used to clean hospitals where everything's sterile, sterile, right? And where is this at? They're around animals with the smell of manure, very fresh in the air, okay? And this this is the situation. They chose to serve our Lord and Savior. They gave him his service. And Mary and Joseph would serve Jesus for years as he was a child. And that's what the Lord wants from us today. He wants for us to serve him, to give him the gift of the skills and the abilities we have. You... All of us in this room, if you know Christ, you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit to where you can serve God with your gifts. You can serve through administration, through helps, through mercy, all different types of gifts. Of course, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what? The greatest gift is what? It is love, to love one another. And, and some of you may have the gift of teaching, and, or like Miss Karen, the gift of singing, or the gift of just greeting and doing all kinds of different things but every single one of us must exercise the gift of love. That's what's made this merger so beautiful is that there's been so much love. And this brother Stan has been amazing. And I I hardly know the guy, but yet I feel great love for him. And I feel it's mutual. And he is helping us do that love one another. And I've seen many of these families from different backgrounds here connecting already. And that's what's gonna make it continue to be the success is we love one another. And we don't look out what's for us, oh, I need this, and I need to know, and I need to express my opinion, and I need to know that they think I do this. No, what do we do? We we serve one another. Philippians 2 again says, let each esteem others better than themselves. You shouldn't come to church saying, what can I get? But What can I give? How can I serve someone else here today? So they gave their gift of service to the Lord Jesus. What, what do you give the Savior of everything? He wants you to serve him. The second thing is, you, the angels gave him praise. They gave him praise. You know what? That's, that's what the Lord wants. And he doesn't, he wants, on Sundays, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, again, we're a small crowd this morning, but you guys sounded really good. And I, it was very pleasing to my ear. How much more is it pleasing to your heavenly father's ear? You know, we, we love when our little kids say thank you, or I love you, mommy, and we love to hear that, those voices. You think your heavenly father ever gets tired of hearing that? I don't think he does. We, we need to give him our praise. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. He has sacrificed his life for us. You know, someday we're going to, at the end of the book of Revelation, it says we will stand before his throne and they'll bring out the scrolls, which is the title deed of the earth. And they'll say, who's worthy? And you know, they'll like, look around, there'll be silence in heaven, like, because no one is worthy. But then the Lamb of God will come forth because, and we will sing how worthy He is. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. And what were they doing? The angels were praising God. You know, they've been doing that for ever, (laughs) thousands of years, and they will do it for all of eternity, and they'll never get tired of it. And God is going to give us that same ability. You know, when we hear certain songs on the radio, especially if they're brand new, we're like, oh, wow, that is so amazing. And we can... we, you know, we turn up the radio and everybody in the car sings along. And then like three months later, like, oh, I'm tired of that song, change the channel. We, because of our sinful nature, we get tired of stuff. We're never gonna get tired of praising God. Isn't that great that God's gonna, in our new glorified body, with our new glorified voices, which some of us need it more than others, with our new glorified hearts, we will never get tired of praising God and telling them how amazing that he is. I think we should practice now. I think we should not wait till eternity. We should continue to praise Him. And they, what were they saying? They were saying glory to God in the highest. You see, what is the ultimate end of man? To glorify God. To glorify God. That, that is our goal in life. We, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what? Do all to the glory of God. Did you know that you can glorify God in the way you work? You say, Gary, not my job. I hate my job. Well, you need to start liking it. God gave you that job. Be thankful for it. A lot of people don't have jobs as good as yours. Okay, we, we need to be thankful. We can glorify God in the way that we work. I remember when I was uh, in college, I went home one summer and got a job as a, as a maintenance guy at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, I worked by myself. I just cleaned up stuff and I... It was a really strange job i didn't have a lot to do so i really had to stretch the the week to make things i had to clean the clean and sweep rooms i'd already swept and take empty trash cans that only had like three pieces of paper in it because i had 40 hours to do literally 12 hours worth of work so i it was really a challenge to stay busy and i was working by myself i could have went somewhere and took a nap i could do whatever and of course I got this job because the guy who worked before me was doing just that. <laughs> he would just sneak it up and doing nothing because he'd get it all done and then go do other stuff. And uh, anyway, so I would do my best to try to stay busy. I'd even create jobs that weren't even mine just to fix things that, th- that needed fixing, even though it wasn't my department. Just trying my best to stay busy. Well, Because it was number one, it was the right thing to do. But number two, it was boring if I didn't. <laughs> so I wanted my day to go by quickly. And so the end of summer came And I was going around on my last day saying goodbye to different people as I'm cleaning their area. And I get to the security room, and I'm taking their trash liner out. And the the, the guy that's the head of security says, hey, I heard this is your last day. I said, yeah. I said, it is. I said, I'm going back to Missouri for Bible college. And he said, well, you know what? Whenever you come back, if you want a job here in the security department, it's yours. He said, you probably don't realize, but we've been watching you as we watch all new employees because there's a lot of theft in this hospital. And he said, and my, all my guys have told me, you do nothing but work hard and stay busy. And that's the kind of people we want in the security department. And I didn't even know it, but I was being watched. And it was glorifying God in the way I worked. Man, it sh- let it never be said that you at work you're known as being a Christian and you're known as not being a good employee. Those two shouldn't be in the same sentence about you. You can glorify the God in the way you're a neighbor to those on your street. Glorify God in the way that you're a grandparent. A husband, a wife, everything you do should glorify God. Glorify God, what? He's in the highest. And um, so are we oh, what do you give the Savior who needs everything, who has everything? You give him your glory, give him your praise. Psalm 106, David wrote, Praise the Lord, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Fact, you know what? I think we should read that again together. What do you think? You want to join me with that? Praise the Lord, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. That is so true, and we need to do that. So, number three, what do you give to the Savior as everything? Well, the shepherds gave them their presence, Not with the letter T, presence. okay? The wise men did that two years later. But with their, just being there, and with their voices. They used both of those. You know, shepherds were poor, and they weren't going to bring a lamb to the Lamb of God. They just showed up and were there to worship Him. You know what? Sometimes that's the way it is on Sundays. You just show up. Maybe you have nothing to give, but God wants your presence. He wants you here. He wants you... It's not about this building. We we collectively are the house of God. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple. You know, uh, one theologian, his name escapes me right now, but he creates this story of what it would have been like for a new believer after Christ has... Was dead and resurrected, and gone back, ascended to heaven, and he meets a pagan, a Roman, who says, "Oh, I heard you're a Christian. That's that's interesting. I'm I'm into, I'm into new religions. We like all kinds of religions in Rome. Tell me, uh, tell me about where your temple is." And the believer says, "We don't have a temple. When we gather together, we are the temple, and Christ is. We are the body of Christ. He is our new temple. You don't have a temple. Okay. Well, we're." How about your priests? Who are your priests? What, where do they carry out the religion, the religious rituals? Because every religion has priests. And they're like, no, we're, we're all high priests, and great, Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Really? Okay, well, then how do you do your sacrifices? Oh, we don't have any sacrifices. Jesus Christ sacrifices life once and for all. This is a strange religion. Well, actually, it's not a religion. It's a relationship with the God of the universe. What amazing conversation. It probably happened all over and over again. And when, the, when Christians gathered together, they were in the presence of the Lord because they were with one another because we are collectively, what? The body of Christ. That's why this, right? What's happening right here this morning is so important. And I, I, and I hate that, you know, so many people are sick and whatever, you know, there's times that your ox is in a ditch, as Deuteronomy says, where you can't make it to the Lord's house, you know? But we should do this as much as possible. And I realize in a pandemic, it's made things really confusing and really weird, and it's tested our, our faith. But let me remind you that in the first century, when plagues hit cities in the Roman Empire, people fled and left family behind, and the Christians stayed to care for the sick. The Christians didn't, didn't let that phase them. They were going to do what's right, and they were going to and I'm not saying we should be reckless in the way that we gather, but I'm saying we should make it a priority as much as possible. And, and I'm very thankful that uh, the way the last couple of years has gone, it could have divided our church seriously, but it didn't. I know of churches that have split over this because the pastor's not hard enough on masks. The pastor's not hard enough on vaccine. or he's, he's too far left. He's too far right. And the leadership is all mixed up. And you know what? Our policy was we're going to respect everybody's views and we're all going to do our best to gather and we're going to take precautions, but we're going we're to sacrifice what we have to sacrifice to be in the Lord's house. And so I I pray that 2022 is better than the last two lousy years. Amen? I should have got a really loud amen on that, right? Um, let's, uh, Let's pray that that does. But you know what? If it doesn't, if it gets worse, or even if it's perceived to be worse, let's just continue to do what the Lord wants us to do. Let's continue to worship and love one another and care for one another as believers in the body of Christ here. Hold on for just a second here. Would you go to the next slide for me, Matt? My orange highlight went away. It says in verse two, um, Luke chapter 2, verse 16, the shepherds, it said that they went. They could have said, hey, the angels appeared. They told us about this great event. We don't have to go. Let's worship the Savior right here. He understands. We're out here in the field. He's over there in Bethlehem. It's kind of far, and we've got this job to do. No, they went. They had to get up and go to where the place of worship was. And, with, and they did it with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying. So here's the cycle that every Christian should go through we go to the house of God, we, we give him our presence as we enjoy his presence, and then we go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. That's the cycle of the Christian life. We gather the Lord's day to come and see all the great things God has done to glorify our Savior. And then we're commissioned to what? To go. To go and tell. And we, we read that in, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 go in all the world and preach the gospel and, and, and baptize them and, and, and teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's what we're supposed to do. Sunday morning is not a pep rally to go out and do nothing, okay? It is, it is a time to be equipped. To glorify God, to rejoice in the salvation we have, and get so excited about it that we go out into the world and we overflow with that joy onto other people. Um, let's see, do you have the next one for him. I'm gonna let you take over there. So this is a there is a direct correlation between being in the presence of Jesus and using your voice for for Him. You say, well, Gary, you know, I. I want to tell people about Jesus, but when I get in that situation, I just kind of get nervous and I kind of get scared. I understand it. I do too. I've been a Christian since I was nine and I'm a pastor and I still get nervous about it. But let me just tell you this. On Sunday when I worship the Lord and on Monday when I spend my quiet time with Him and I, and I go to life group and I'm in the presence of people and, I'm, and the Word of God is in me and I'm in the Word, it starts overflowing. I just, then I can't, well, I can't help but talk about it. Remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus is walking with the two guys and they don't know it's him, right? And then, and then it talks about how it burned within their hearts. And then when Jesus left them, what did they say about him? That when they went and told others about what happened, they said they could tell they had been with Jesus. When you go to work tomorrow morning or January 3rd or whatever, you go back. I want for people to know that the members of Revolution Church have been with Jesus. Not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. What, what do we say? Worship God passionately, love people genuinely, start a revolution. You know, it, it's, just, it's more than just a Sunday thing. If we want to worship Jesus together weekly, but we want to walk with Him daily. We want to make sure those things are happening so that we can use our voice for Him. Of course, what does it say in the Psalms? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When something amazing has happened to you, we can't keep it to ourselves. Remember the story of the four lepers who were kicked out of the city because of the leprosy, but it was a city under siege because the enemy was attacking it, and they they, they surrounded it. And so they're like, man, if we sit out here outside the city gates, we're going to starve. And if we go back in, they won't let us, so let's go to the enemy. And if they kill us, they kill us because we're going to starve to death anyway, but maybe we'll get lucky and they'll feed us. So they start walking towards the Syrian camp, and God makes it sound like an army is approaching. And they all flee. And they walk into tents. And they're like, hello. And there's dinner served. And everybody left. I mean, there's probably still a fork in the steak right there. And, and all this stuff. And there's clothes. And there's gold. And there's all kinds of food. And they just start. Here, think about four lepers who are starving. And man, they're having the time of life. They're feasting. And then right in the middle of the meal as they're getting full, they're like, one of them says, wait a minute. This is not right. We're not doing the right thing. We need to go back and tell. Here are all this food, and our brothers are inside the city starving. So they went back and they told. And that's exactly the picture of you and I. We come to church on Sunday for a feast, and we partake of the manna of heaven and the meat of the word, and we just enjoy this. But for us to go out and have our lips zipped all week long would not be right at all. We are to speak up out of gratitude, for what Christ has done for us. Next slide. please. So number four, what do you give the Savior who has everything? Well, the wise men gave them their offerings. The wise men gave them their offerings. And of course, we know what those those are. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If you were paying attention last week, the kids taught it to you really well. In fact, it's still up here. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh right there. Um, And of course, we know the pictures of what those are about. The gold recognized the deity and kingship of Jesus Christ frankincense. It was incense, so it was worship to worship him as God. And of course, myrrh is an herb to prepare for the burial of Christ. So they acknowledged right then and there about that this is the baby who's born to die. You know, he's in a manger of wood. He'll someday die on a cross of wood. Interesting thing about the magi that people call them kings, really what they were were king makers. They were the ones who acknowledged who the king was. And many times if there was in a kingdom, uh, where the king died but had no predecessor, they would select the next king. So that's what the Magi were doing in this situation. And of course, we know they came approximately two years later because it says that Jesus was the child in the house. He's no longer a baby in a manger. He's a child in a house. And the, word, the Greek word there for child is toddler. So he's probably around two years old. And other things in that story in Luke chapter two give us idea that it's around that time. But they came then. What's interesting about that is just about 700 years prior to that, you know who was part of the Magi? Daniel. Daniel was in that part of the world, and they were the guys who were the stargazers and whatever, and I believe Daniel stepped in and said, hey, here's what the stars are all about, and here's what the scripture's all about, and someday you guys, some of your men that you train generations later are going to be the ones who will discover the king of the universe. And so that was part of, because the Magi were very eclectic. They believed a little bit of everything. And so when when Daniel introduced what the Jews believed, they just received that in their well, and they taught that too. And so Daniel paved the way for those Magi to come all those years later. And what did they come with? These gifts. And again, does Jesus need your gold? No. Does Jesus need the frankincense? The myrrh? He doesn't need any of those things, but he wants those. And you, you may be reluctant to give because, you know, well, I don't know that Jesus doesn't need my money. No, he doesn't need your money. You need to give to him. You need to give him of your time, of your talents, and yes, of your treasure. And you know, people complain all the time, well, the church just wants your money. Yeah, there's churches like that that are, that are just all about the money. And let me just tell you, we're not one of those churches, praise God. We're not a perfect church, but we're not about the money. We're about giving so that we can support missionaries like you've seen over the past several weeks. What's going on with the Webbers when they go to Africa? What's going on, you know, with the the Hidalgos in Scotland and the Joneses over in the Middle East speaking to Muslims and all those different missionaries we support? That's what we're about. We're about reaching Brookside Village and Pearland and South Houston and Dickinson and Santa Fe, but we're also about funding what it takes to send the gospel to the ends of the earth. We need to always be a missions-minded church, and that's why Jesus wants our offerings, so we can sacrifice to Him and return to Him what belongs to Him. Next slide, please. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 says, And when, they, when, the, when the Magi saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and they fell down in what? They worshiped Him. They worshiped Him. You know, what, the, what is worship? It's the very thing that captures your heart. It's the thing you think about when you're by yourself and you're bored. It, it, it's what is, occupies your mind. It's the first response of what you go to when you get bad news. That will ad- identify who or what you worship. They worship Jesus. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts and gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you know what? It it was shortly after this that Herod wanted to do what? Kill all the babies. Okay? And so what did Joseph have to do? He had to uproot his family and make a long trip to Egypt. How does a poor family do that? Well, they were just given a bunch of gold. (laughs) In fact, who knows how long this gold funded that family. It at least paid for that trip, I believe. It probably paid for living expenses till Joseph got his carpentry business established in Egypt or went to work for somebody. And it probably was enough to pay for the trip back. Who knows what? But here, through their worship, they were providing the means for Joseph and Mary to serve the Lord. And that's what happens when we give. We, we're providing the means for this church, to, for people to serve the Lord and carry those things on. Next slide, please. So, What do you give, what do you fill in your name? What do you give to the Savior who has everything? Let's review. Next next slide, please. What did a holy God give to a world who had nothing and did not deserve anything? You see, we give to God our worship, our praise, our offerings. But what did God give to us when we didn't deserve anything and we had nothing? Next slide. He gave the very best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And does that make Christmas real or what? That's what it's all about. Not just December 25th, but 365. Because did we deserve anything? No. But that's the definition of a gift. My mom grew up in a religion that taught you, be good, you know, and do all these things and you'll go to heaven. And she was very devout in that religion. And when I became a Christian, when I was nine years old, and I'm telling my mom that I want her to be saved and I want her to be born again. And I, and she's like, well, how do you do that, Gary? And I tell her, I said, you just simply put your faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And that that's, that's the, the payment for your sin and you'll be saved and you'll go to heaven. And she goes, that's just too easy. I said, but none of us can do what it takes to be saved. So God had to make it easy. He simply wants us to trust him. She goes, I don't know. I just can't believe that. I believe I, believe I have to do something. And you know what? That's what all the religions of the world teach. Is you, God says, here's the standard. You better try to get up there. And you know what God says? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God had to bring himself down to us and become one of us and die and pay that price for us. So my mom goes through all these years of just not believing what I believe. And it was about what Gary believes, what what the Bible teaches. You know, for by grace you are saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is what, everybody? It's a gift. It's not of works lest anybody should boast. And think about that. That applies to us who are already saved. That's not just a verse for those who need to be saved. You have no reason to brag about anything ever, ever. Think about that. Everything you have is a gift. And as soon as you start getting full of yourself and thinking, man, I've done a good job with my career and look at me with my degrees or look at my position or look at the size of my house or look at that car in the driveway, whew, you need to knock yourself down <laughs> before you get knocked down, okay? We're not supposed to boast. We're going to spend all of eternity boasting about how great Jesus is. So my, my mom goes through all these decades, okay? And then finally, one Easter Sunday she would go to church with my brother and I who my brother became a believer also. And one Sunday she went to church with my brother and it was Easter Sunday and the pastor said basically what I just said about how salvation is a gift. You can't buy it, you can't earn it and once it's given to you it's yours and it's no strings attached otherwise it's not a gift. And so my mom is driving home in her car by herself and thinking about a gift. It's a gift. And my mom trusted Christ in her car on the drive home. And I, I, I'm so glad that because I, and I don't know where my dad is at. He, maybe he did too, but I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to see my mom in heaven someday because she truly trusted Christ. But let me tell you something. God gave to us. In fact, anything you give to God overflows out of him giving to you first. What does 1 John say? That we love him because he first loved us. Aren't you glad God takes the initiative? That God's the one who took the initiative with Christ on the cross. My question for you this morning is, do you know him? I would like for you to, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes. And number one, if you do know Christ as your Savior and you've been born again, why don't you just spend some time thanking him, but also ask him that he would open hearts. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's someone watching online this morning, or maybe someone in this building who has never truly been saved. Yes, maybe you've gone through some religious motions or you've done some things to make your parents happy or impress others, but do you know Christ personally? If you do not, you can trust him this morning and maybe you could pray a prayer, something like this. It's not the prayer that saves you, but in faith, have a conversation with God, something like this. Lord Jesus, my sin is so great. I deserve punishment, but I am so thankful that you took my punishment for me. You took my cross in my place. You took my nails, the crown of thorns, the punishment so that I would not have to. I thank you for doing all that for me and forgiving my sin. I trust you as Savior. I give you my life. I make you the Lord of everything. And I thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision, man, I'd love to hear from you and talk to you about your first steps as a Christian.